When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Performance Anxiety on Tour. This week, we welcome Jay Aston of Jay Aston's Gene Loves Jezebel. They're on tour, and Jay spent his day off speaking with me about his influences, touring with The Alarm in Modern English this summer, the Madden video game curse, and how they've been affected by the Universal Music Vault fire. Follow Jay Aston's Gene Loves Jezebel on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Our merchandise is at performanceanx.threadless.com. And here's a very mobile Jay Aston from Jay Aston's Gene Loves Jezebel. Hey, this is Jay Aston from Jay Aston's Gene Loves Jezebel. You're listening to Performance Anxiety. So, uh, so you're currently on tour. I really do appreciate you uh, taking a time on one of your days off to talk with me. Yeah, well, that's what we got to do, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the we're on, we're on the we're on the move all the time. So yeah, it's uh, we appreciate uh, you know it's it's uh, well, two weeks. Well, like I said, uh, you know, you guys are you guys are currently on tour with uh, the the Llama Modern English. Yeah, yeah that's got to be uh, a great show, man. That's that's like right up my alley. That's that's you know when I was growing up, those you guys are the the bands I was listening to. Yeah, it is, and we all get along well too. We're all different enough, you know. We're not. Uh, we, we we offer a, a different color for everyone who comes to see us, and uh, yeah, it's, it's working out really well. Oh, that's awesome! That's I'm glad to hear. So often you hear when uh, you know you get a show that could be three headliners, they don't always yeah, yeah. get along so well. <laughs> well, we're all older and wiser, you know. And yeah. Some of us are better looking. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, all right. So uh, what I wanted to do is, is find out a little bit more about. You and where you guys, where you got to, or how you got to where you are now uh, with the band. Oh, and, wow. And, that's a long story. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what this whole show's about. I like getting some behind-the-scenes oh, okay. stories and, and hearing All some right. fun stuff that happened, you know, in the 30-some-odd years that you guys have been playing. Doing it. Right, yeah. So you're originally from Wales, correct? I'm from South Wales, yeah. Uh, we formed in, well, uh, the original band was came, came up from Wales to London, yeah. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I just had this idea to get a, a gig in London, get an agent, and get a record deal. And so I, I made this plan, find a place to play where I knew it would be covered by the music press. And uh, weird enough, all those things happened really quickly. So I went up to London, found an agent, played this gig, got a record deal, and here we are. 
Man, that, now, uh, if I was reading this correctly, originally the band wasn't called Gene Loves Jezebel. It was called Slavarian. The original lineup was called Slavarian. It's a name I made up, just mixing. It kind of means kind of Welsh for good money, but I like the idea of Slav and Arian. Always been an egalitarian enterprise, Gene Loves Jezebel, in my opinion. So that's why I try to make it. How did you come up with Gene Loves Jezebel? Where did that come from? Well, I went up to, as I said, we went up to London. I got a gig, a place called the ICA, which is on the Mall in London. And that was the one gig in London at that time in the early early 80s, 1980, which the music press used to cover, even if you were unheard of. If you got on that bill, you'd be covered. Oh, wow. So I managed to get a job there and give the tape to the guy put it on. And they liked it. And but we didn't have a name because we come up from Wales. Uh, the original drummer didn't want to travel up; he was studying in college, and so uh, we thought we'd have a new name. And they needed a, they used to get a famous artist. In this case, Joe Stalin to <coughs> the poster that year. The, the theme was Big Brother or something, and uh, he wanted a name for the band. And I was like, ah, just trying to think, what shall I do? Because all the bands at that time were very dark. It was like Bauhaus, Theatre of Hate, Killing Joke, all those kind of oh, bands. Yeah. And I was trying to think of something a bit more colourful. So I thought of three names have love in there somewhere. And John Lennon's John Lennon had just been shot. And he, the rock and roll album, I always liked that rock and roll album. One of the songs on there was Bebop Luda by, Be, by Gene Vincent. Yes. And I thought that represents rock and roll in its purest form. There's no fat in it. It just gets to the point and it's beautiful. And I wanted our band to be like that. So I thought Gene, and I was given the name Jezebel by a film student, basically, who just thought my name was Jezebel for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, I think it was down to my Welsh accent. I was introduced as J.P. Aston or something, and he just heard it as Jezebel. Oh, wow. So, uh, so that's fine. And so I thought, yeah, Gene, Gene loves me. So Gene loves Jezebel. <laughs> and who... Who were your influences when you guys started playing? It's, and the, the, oh, the band was started off as you and your brother, your twin brother, and then right. um, Ian Hudson, right? Yeah, that was me, me and Ian Hudson, uh, a drummer called Steve Snowy White. Uh, or Joe, was it? I can't remember his last name, Steve. Uh, and I went to bass for my good, good friend of mine, Steve Ace, and we all came up to London. And two of them didn't make it all the way through, but. Yeah, and our influences with all bands have different influences. You know, I was mainly influenced by singers, to be honest. With you. That's my main thing. I love singers. Uh, and that would be anyone from, you know, uh, anyone who's done anything original. And that could be from Bob Dylan to uh, Ian Curtis to, you know, Tim Buckley and a million others. We just, uh, I mean, we're all at different influences. And some of the influences are bands like Cannes or Neu from Germany and... Uh, all the way through to whatever was happening at that time, which would have been Pill, Susan the Banshees, and The Cure, and all those kind of bands at that time too. It's kind of yeah, kind of the uh, darker bands. Darker bands, but I've always loved melodies, so I, I like to sing a song, you know. So um, I remember Phil Spector's, the, the, the Ronettes, and all those bands influenced me a lot too. And uh, Janice Chopper, <laughs> anyone that could hold a team, I was into songs, you know, and that's why I like Dylan a lot uh, when I was growing up, and uh, you know. Tons of records, really. I like Led Zeppelin when I was growing up a lot. Okay. Beach Boys. When I was a kid, Beach Boys were a massive influence on me <clears throat> because Pet Sounds and stuff like that I loved as a kid. And obviously we had the Beatles. And oh, yeah. Of, there's not so much great music out there. The Bee Gees, tons of stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, there really was. And and I can yeah. definitely hear some of that influence in the harmonies and all in, in Gene oh, and yeah, Jezebel's music. I love, we love that. I mean, I love singing with James Stevenson on guitar because he, he naturally does a nice third or fifth, and I like the tone of his voice. 
Um, Peter Rizzo, Peter Bug Rizzo, plays bass, guitar, and sings keyboards with us too, and he does a lot of pre-production stuff for us. He's become a really good singer, and he, he and he can actually do some of the difficult parts I have to sing. He does them, and people don't even know it's him singing, so it's great. Oh wow! Uh, so, uh, which is fantastic. So he's covered. We can before I'd have to sing some like Desire. I'd have to do all the vocals, even uh, though the videos might look like other people singing. It's actually me doing all the vocals. Oh really? And, uh, okay. And so live, I'd, I'd be doing all those parts, which oh, is quite wow. weird to do. But now I can mix it because like Pete and James sing, and uh, it's much better. And of course, these days a lot of the audience sings too. So yeah, <laughs> so, I, so. I, I noticed that. I was looking up uh, some of the videos on YouTube of of uh, this the tour that you're currently on. Some you know fans upload mm. videos during the show, and yep. uh, I, you got a lot of audience participation. Yeah, well, there's melody. Well, there's melody you can sing, you know. Um, and those songs meant a lot to me when I wrote them, or to Peter, me, or James when we wrote them, and even my brother on occasion. And, um, you know, and so it, it's wonderful that people have that connection to those songs, you know, it's wonderful. And to make a new album, like Dance of the War, I just been torn to someone who that album means so much to because they were in the Northern California fires and they would listen to Charmed Life all the time as a different digging through the debris you know oh yeah we did we did a tour in germany and a couple that didn't never heard of us before we played with the mission uk and they came up to me after and said uh, how do you say goodbye to someone you love they lost they lost a child oh wow and, and how much that song meant to them so to be able to write and uh i wrote that with pete to be able to write songs like that and have someone's talent as james stevenson playing guitar on it tony visconti you know obviously david bowie t-rex doing strings it's amazing. So um, we're an amazing part of to be in this part of our life. We've lost so many friends and lovers, and so much, so much bad stuff is happening on the planet. To be able to be creating and doing this today, and you know, 2019 in the summer and touring the USA is an amazing, amazing feeling. Well, one of the things that I really liked about watching the videos is your your interaction with the audience because. You're you're very sharp. You've got a very good sense of humor, oh, and you. <laughs> and you're interacting with with the fans, inviting them to come up on stage and sing. The, and and uh, it's it's really interesting. Has that always been the case with you guys? Oh uh, well, when I well, I've always had a sense of humor. Any well, singers are weird things, really. They've usually got really good senses of humor. Most singers, I think. And uh, but when I started, no, I was when I first started, I was probably much shyer. And uh, probably didn't speak too much to the audience, and probably a lot more mystique to what I was trying to put across. And as I've got older and wiser, and not worry about what people think, how I dance or how I sing or anything, I, I'm freer. So um, I have a lot of fun with the audience, and uh, you know, there's some sharp-witted people out there who make me laugh. And <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm from a working-class background where banter is a big part of it. And you, you get good. It's, I'm from a large family. Oh, and gosh, you have yeah. To, you, have to, you have to be quick on your feet, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, your improv so, skills are sharp, I'll tell you that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's... <laughs> it's lucky, because it's the, the time of the evening I'm awake that time. Of, yeah. In the morning, I'm not so sharp. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm getting you right at the right time tonight. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so when you first started playing music, how, how old were you? And did you start playing with... Uh, you, were you and your brother immediately playing together? No, my brother, I don't like to be mean, but he was not remotely interested in music until he was about 14 or 15. Okay. Uh, he was interested in music from the age of about five. Um, I can remember singing at five. I knew, knowing I wanted to be a singer from a very, very young age. 
uh, the, the, the school would have been in the choir to sing in the choir. But my school was so tough, you'd get beaten up from being in the choir, so I didn't yeah. do it. And so, uh, unfortunately, put music and I wake up every day as a kid. I'd always be singing melodies. And uh, one of the most joyful days of my life was when I realized how good my range was. I'd never, you know, I'd be listening to all these records like Good Vibrations, the Beach Boys, and things. And, uh, and one day, just uh, I'd sing sometimes to, to music. Some bands would make music and there'd be no vocals in there. Maybe they couldn't think of any parts. And I would write, sing parts along to that music. And oh, wow. I just remember just hitting one note one day and think, oh my God, I can really sing. <laughs> and I saw, if you listen to the earliest records, uh, the, you could tell that I'm, I'm, I can just hear that I'm obviously, I can sing from the very, from the beginning. The voice has always been there, you know. So uh, if you're upstairs on the first unit, I'm the, that's my song on the first album, let me sing it. Right. I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm fully contained, you know, which is amazing when I look back on it. So I was always very sure of myself as a singer. I'm very, very shy in many other ways, especially when I was younger. But I was never, I knew I could sing and I know I knew I could blow anyone away as a singer. So it was tough for me to be with my brother because, you know, I didn't like this, his voice. Ah, I okay. I didn't think he could sing. So it was, he had other qualities, but uh, I didn't. Like singing with him, and he was. I was trying to get to the microphone half the time, and he'd be in my way. <laughs> and if you if you watch any of those videos, I move a lot around stage. I need yes. a lot of space, and I'd have someone there constantly looking for attention, getting in my way, basically, which is an awful thing to say. And I just we had to split. And I said, you know, you do your your thing, and I'll do mine, and good luck. And off he went, and uh, you know, he got a big record deal with Virgin Records. He got all the breaks you could possibly get, and then they worked out that uh, you know maybe he wasn't as quite as good as he thought he was. So we just carried on doing what we're doing. So. I've I've seen that a lot with with uh, bands with brothers and like going back to Everly Brothers and then you know sure. Black Crow and Oasis. And mm, sure, it's it's. Uh, but you hear a lot about how twins have this this uh, connection, but it sounds that's like maybe that's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Let's save it for the you know the save it for the the, the talk show. Yeah, that's uh, no, certainly. I I feel no connection to him in that way. I just think he's a very mean, nasty person, and he's not he's not remote. We're not connected in any way at all. Everything he does, I do the opposite. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do anything he does. So you, I, uh, I I love people. I don't jump on them and try to rip them off. Um, and I don't talk behind their backs. If I got anything bad to say, it's right here on the radio for you to hear. There you go. <laughs> or your podcast. Well, that's awesome. I, that's... I, don't, I don't have to hear it secondhand or hear it from, you know, drunk, uh, you know, barrages that he has against me. I, the nonsense I hear he talks about me. Um, you know, I wish him happiness and health. He needs, needs both of those things. So, um, well, back in the early days... You, you were touring with, uh, you know, artists like uh, John Cale and and David Bowie. Sure, right. Well, not they were in the well the early days. We worked with John Cale in New York. We did a gig with him in in London. Okay. And Bowie kept, Bowie was the first gig we did as a four piece when my brother left. So um, we did covered gigs with Bowie, which is awesome, obviously. That, um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So what was the question? I guess I wanted to know what's. 
Do you, is there anything strange that that happens backstage? You know, any anything that uh, that that surprised you when you're touring with with guys like Bowie or, or doing shows with with uh, well, somebody of the stature of John Cale? Well, most bands, especially in, the, in those early days, you keep yourselves to yourselves. To be honest, you're not really hanging out and having a cigarette together or a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, it's it's not touring in that sense. Even when we, when we toured with the New Order and Echo and the Bunnymen, which was a pre Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza, if you want. Oh wow, yeah. That uh, even with those guys, we didn't really uh, mix with them. Much as we'd like to mix, we we're very sociable. They were kind of into cocaine and all that kind of stuff, which is keeps you in your keeps you in your uh, you know in your hotel room and away from people in the dark right. corners of the clubs. You know, we're very outgoing. You know, we like to dance and sing and hang out with girls and have fun. You know, so we're a very different kind of band to that. So, uh, but uh, we we've, we've travelled with bands before and had fun. There were lots of musicians and had fun, but uh, not in those cases. No, not the most famous ones. You know? They've been very. Um, well, it's tough, you know, because you got to remember, they've got to stay up there. They're paranoid, you know, and it's yeah. a constant battle to stay famous and relevant. And it's uh, it's funny to watch, really, from the outside, but to them, <laughs> they spend, to the day they die, trying to be, you know, the man in the star in the sky, you know. It's yeah. It's funny. You know, it's sad, really, but um, that's what it's like. They're just trying to stay ahead. Yeah. Try, I mean, to, stay, try to stay relevant. And, and it's it's amazing what, what people will do to, to, to stay relevant. Yeah, it's shocking, really. And, like, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, you, you, you know, you, you experience it firsthand, and you know, but mm. uh, I want to go back to a live show that I saw. I've, see, I've seen a couple of live clips, and, and a few of them you mentioned Pittsburgh Steelers. So I was wondering if you're a sports right. fan. I love team sports. Yeah, I do. I'm interested in all team sports. I'm, I'm fascinated to see any four, five, six, seven, ten, fifteen players against fifteen, whatever it is, you know. Oh wow. I, I do like it. I like the Steelers. I mean my, the good thing about American football is um, I didn't know much about it when I first came over here. I just didn't understand it. Like what's wide receiver, you know? Yeah. Loose end, tight end, what's all that about? <laughs> what's you do you, you know, all the moves they were making, you know, the the reverse, whatever it's yeah. whatever. Going in motion uh, and backfield in motion, all that stuff. Like, what the hell are they talking about? But I learned the rules from Nintendo, John Madden. Oh, wow. So I, once I learned the rules, I thought, oh, my God, this is like, you know, this is this is science and um, uh, also thuggery, you know. It's, yeah. It's, brut- it's brutal and yet it's chess, you know. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I, I loved it, you know. So uh, I, my first team I adopted was uh, because the Raiders were in L.A. at the time. So I, I adopted them as a team. But I, I don't support one team the Rams I followed recently because they moved to LA yeah and I've been in LA and, but um, I like the Steelers and I a lot, of, a lot of I like a lot of different teams for different reasons I'm a bit bored with um, New England winning everything oh yeah and, um, I can understand but, uh, that <laughs> but I like you know, it's, 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 I mean sport is like theatre isn't it it's like music it's, it's exciting it's uh, there's so many weird endings you don't know what's going to happen so many pivotal moments and and so many it, it's you know, tragedies involved with it too. I mean, it's it's it's, it's amazing. So yeah, I do like sport. Yeah. Do you buy into the uh, John Madden curse at all, where the uh, whoever's on the cover of the video game gets injured the next year? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that. No. Oh yeah, I, it's a big thing. <laughs> wow, who's on it this year? <laughs> uh, I think 
Patrick Mahomes might be <laughs> from oh, the dear. Chiefs. They're <laughs> <you> worried. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's funny. It's it's a big thing that uh, people people have refused to be on the cover of the video game because they're afraid that they're going to oh, get right, yeah, career ending injury. Well, there's a lot of superstition. Humans get naturally human superstitions, aren't they? You know. They wouldn't be oh, yeah. religion unless there was superstition, you know. I mean, that's, that's a natural human thing to need something to believe in, you know. Do you so. <laughs> do you have any superstitions? You know, speaking of that, do you have any uh, uh, superstitions? I think all humans do to some degree, but uh, do I do anything? Uh, like when you before you go on stage, you have to eat something. No, I don't do anything at all. No, nothing at all. Oh, that's. Cool. I'm too. I'm too worried about my voice to uh, to have superstitions. I just. Don't talk too much. That's why I tend to do these interviews on days off, you know. That well, that makes makes perfect yeah. sense. And that actually yeah. segues into a question I did have for you. You've been singing since the very early '80s professionally. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you keep your voice in shape? Well, I used to smoke two great. packs of Mar- I used to I used to thank you. I used to sm- uh, smoke two packs of Marlboros Reds a day oh, in wow. the '80s and into the early '90s. So. Um, that wasn't very smart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and I used to drink too much wine, which wasn't very smart either. Oh, wow. Uh, but, you know, so I just got rid of all those things, those things I was a slave to. I'm a slave to none of those things anymore. And, uh, I mean, there was, there was a period I just stopped believing in, in doing music, to be honest. That probably is why we were quiet for a while. And uh, I, just, I just got it back, you know. I just started loving singing again. I think, um, weirdly enough, I was in Atlanta, Augusta actually staying, staying with a friend doing some recording and I heard a, a, a record by Suede this is going way back and I thought oh my oh, god yeah. that guy's actually that guy's actually singing and because it was a period of people going oh man I'm your man I love this I love that all that stuff yeah. with all the front stuff was happening and, and there's some good singers involved there obviously but a lot of it was a lot of you know bullshit front really oh yeah I but agree. to hear someone sing I was like oh wow you can sing and that kind of woke me up so I kind of threw the cigarettes away and went through this process of uh, just re- regaining my volcanics. I play guitar. I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm a very good guitar player, but I love playing it. Okay. And I, I want to play right, like Pete, Pete Bugrizzo on bass is a great guitar player and James is a great guitar player. But, you know, I write songs. I strum a few chords and uh, I like I like finger picking and yeah. that stuff. But uh, it's just the joy. You don't have to be uh, king of any instrument. Just, just enjoy it. Strum a few chords. So much joy in music, in life, really. So, my other joy is hiking and walking, which I walk 15, 20, 30 miles a day sometimes. If oh, I my gosh. So I just love being out there and, you know, I haven't got time to watch video games generally. That's why I wasn't so familiar with the John Madden. Madden yeah. <laughs> so you're not playing Madden football anymore. <laughs> no, I always think I should be playing guitar or reading or be out there. I like being outdoors most of the time. So... Uh, let's see. What were you doing between Thornfield sessions and uh, Dance Underwater? Well, was, well, basically, what happened around two, was it two thousand or two thousand three? I can't quite remember. What basically happened? Um, my mum died. I lost my place in LA. Um, someone did something bad. Landlord thing. Um, yeah. And my girlfriend left me. Um, it's not a bad run. And then all these leave. My brother started using the name. Um, and so now we're Jay Aston's Dean of Jezba in the U.S., but at least people know it's us now. Yeah. Instead of, you know, going to see Dean of Jezba and going to see him and whoever's happens to be on stage. And it's made a very difficult struggle. As I said, I, you know, it's, I lost faith in music a bit, and I stopped yeah. smoking and did all that thing, stopped drinking. And I got a job at Apple, you know, where I was teaching 
uh, sometimes staff, but often people to uh, you know to use Max, oh, wow. to use Logic or Photoshop and all those things. And a couple oh, of man. hours to teach them how to use GarageBand, for instance, or GarageBand, as you guys said. Yeah, I'd yeah. Some stuff, take some stuff, and show them how easy it's part of a revolution, really. And it was the first big store Apple had in Europe. And they kind of handpicked about 200 people to work there, and I was one of them. Oh, wow. So it was easy. Sony worked a few days a week, and it was uh, they paid well enough where I could continue writing and, uh, you know, get back on my feet and get my voice back. And, and another thing happened, too. There was a guy early on that played with us who plays. He's a Belgian musician who was part of all the uh, uh, kind of European techno music okay. uh, from the 80s and early 90s, like at uh, Front 242 and stuff like that, called oh, Jean-Marc yeah. Lieberman. Yes. And he, yeah, he's done lots of music. And he just said, Jay, will you do that? He just happened. And I was still smoking at that stage with him. He just happened to send me... Um, it's an email says, Oh, Jay, I really like you to sing this Rolling Stones song. He doesn't know the Rolling Stones really. I love the song, so he's like, No, them. okay. Um, and he sent me Moonlight Mile, and I said to him, You just be saying, you know. And um, and I did it with a, another early member of the band called Julianne Reagan, who I got into the band to play bass. And she was in a, she wanted to form a band called All About Eve, who can make pretty famous in Europe and the UK. Yeah, and yeah. I think they had kind of a, a minor hit out here with uh, Martha's Harbor. So, uh, she's a beautiful singer, and uh. She wanted to do it as well, so we did, did that song, and that kind of made me go, oh, yeah. And the rain feels cold, we put it full of snow, with a head full of snow. In the window, there are lots of faces, you know, don't a night's best slow. She loved it, and I got so many compliments from uh, people I played with begging me to play guitar and etc. They liked it so much, so I was like, oh yeah, maybe. So I basically much dropped out. I didn't really have, same as Peter, I think we put, decided we'd have enough of this music business and um, just got out of it, you know, and then that got me back, woke me back up again, you know, and uh, got my interest in, in, in it. And then, uh, then with that, I remember uh, Pete sending me some stuff Started working, which I really liked, you know, and because uh, we both come from different musical kind of uh, backgrounds, really. Okay. And so I went up to York, and um, you know, he produced the thing we called Ugly Bugs, and uh, so that got us uh, just creating all these songs. And the, I mean, a couple of those songs, James Stevenson came to see us live, and he just loved. He says we got to do some of these songs for a new Gene Loves Jazzville album, and that's what happened with Dancing to Water, you know, and uh, so. Uh, we did How Do You Say Goodbye to Someone You Love. So how do you say goodbye to someone you love? How do you say goodbye to someone you love? And Summertime and Dance at the Water from the, from Ugly Bug songs, basically. Oh, okay, okay. So, and that, so that's what I was doing. That whole period is, you know, just uh, like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. Like, <laughs> I suppose I look at it. If you want to go classical, <laughs> and you've you've funded Dance Underwater through uh, Pledge Music. Yeah, well, How'd... as I said, we 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 weren't that active as we said between Dance Underwater and uh, and uh, Hornfield. Right. What what happens? Um, 
we'd always get together. We'd always be doing art festivals in South America, or especially in Portugal, where we sold a lot of records. And that would happen once or twice a year. We'd always get together, and everyone would get really hammered. We'd have a great time. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd play like an hour and a half and do two or three encores and be like, oh, my God, we're such a great band. We should make a record. And then everyone would get on the flights the next day, go back to New York or London or York, uh, or me back to L.A. or wherever it was, London time. And that'll be the last year until next year. Yeah. And then one, about three years ago, um, I said, look, guys, you say this to me all the time. Let's let's try to do it properly. Let's fund it and get a, get Peter Walsh, who did Desire and um, House, House of Dolls and all those songs which we, which we loved. We loved working with them. And we do use a proper studio. And we used to, uh, Barry Barlow's studio, he's a brilliant, innovative drummer from um, Dreyfus Hotel. Uh, and he was awesome. He really helped us um, finish the album. He helped us on the budget and stuff. And we got the fans involved, and they luckily pledged music was up and running then and uh, vibrant. Yeah. And uh, we were very lucky because, uh, but because my friend Marty Wilson Piper from the church and Ogre from Skinny Puppy, they both suffered pledged music going down before their projects were finished. Yeah. Just a drag. But we were lucky. So the fans got involved. Some of them came to the studio, listened to the rough mixes, and. Uh, you know, it was just brilliant, you know, and uh, it was, that's, so we managed to do it properly with a real studio and it was expensive to do, but they came up with the bucks and it was brilliant. That's fantastic. See, I like hearing that because uh, a, a friend of mine actually got screwed by Pledge Music too. Uh, mm, Kelly, so many. Yeah, Kelly Scott from the band Failure. Oh man! They Sorry got that. yeah. Oh, they man. got they got screwed. Actually, yeah, they lost out on like sixty thousand dollars, and everybody oh, else lost God. out on the everything they pledged for. They didn't get anything. No, I'm sorry to hear that. Now the, the good yeah. the good part is that they managed to record the album and get the the files out actually through Pledge Music. But when it came time oh, to do good. physical stuff, okay. they'd gone That's under. Goodness. Oh man! Yeah, Pledge Music was a that was a debacle for a oh, lot of folks. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah Swerve yeah. Driver and Failure, I know they, they got screwed oh, big time. Oh, man. Swerve Driver, too. Yeah. So between the 2003 Thornfield Sessions and uh, Dance Underwater, you actually appeared on stage with the Smashing Pumpkins. How did, how did that happen? Did they call you up and just invite you? or? Yeah, it's, a, it's a weird one. That it's, um, I'd met Jeff Schroeder through Joel Patterson. Uh, who's, who plays drums with us a lot in the last 20 years. Okay. Often. Uh, we switch drummers between Chris Bell uh, and Joel. It depends where we are, you know. But Joel's been doing a lot in the last few years. Uh, and uh, I did a thing with Tommy Black, who plays bass with Scott Weiland before he passed away, obviously. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, and he was doing a solo thing, and he asked me to play bass for it, which is an unusual thing to do. And I said, sure. And when I went down to Rios, um Jeff Schroeder was there and he was but he didn't last long because Jeff's an amazing guitar player but he got a call from Billy Corgan to join the Smashing Pumpkins wow so and then so that was my connection uh, Joel knew Jeff and they were always in contact and I'd see Jeff on occasion but Joel's friend close friend of Joel's and so one of these days and suddenly Jeff said oh no Joel called me he said oh Jeff is asking would you like to come to London because would you like to come step up in London with Smashing Pumpkins and coming to town and Billy's a big fan, and would you like to love to do Stephen? Because he's got a Mellotron, and he'd love to play along to it. Oh, man.
and I said, sure, you know, that would be yeah. wonderful. And um, <laughs> so I got up and I, I said, it could be good if, if Jane Stevenson could come too, and he loved that idea too. Cause, uh, but apparently they used to come and see us when we played in Chicago in the early days of the Pumpkins when they were just forming. Oh, yeah. And it was a weird moment because um, the Genius Jazz was opening song in those days. It used to be Always a Flame. And always a flame. My brother would do the opening verse, and then I'd sing the bridges and, and the choruses. Okay. And apparently, he was standing watching us with his bands, his James E.R., etc., etc. And my brother started singing, and and James uh, and Billy Corgan said, "That guy can't sing." <laughs> then I, then I started to sing, and he and he looked to his band and said, "That guy can sing." And he said that in front of the whole London audience. Oh, I was wow. people, you know? so. That was uh, a funny, bitter moment for him, my brother, I'm sure. But yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, but so, yes, yeah, so we got up and uh, he was already, because people like my writing, because I do all the writing on the covers and all the rest of the Genius Jezebel stuff, you know. Yeah. I often do. I don't always do it. Sometimes I don't like to, to build, put all my stuff, all things. <laughs> and he, I'd, I'd forget, I hadn't sang Stephen for such a long time. I wrote all the lyrics so he could know them as well, so he could sing along with it too. And uh, as soon as, as James, as, as soon as I left the stage, he picked up picked up the lyrics, put in his pocket. <laughs> oh wow! Because so, people like like the way I write, you know. So yeah, so they collect it. So oh yeah, funny. and so you know, if if being a fan of a band, if, if that's you know that's something that I would want as well, you know, even if I'm yeah, on sure. stage, you know, I'm definitely true. Yeah, picking that true. up as a souvenir. That's yeah, true enough. True, true. If and, Bob Dylan was to give me some of his handwritten lyrics, I'd be quite happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because like, I can definitely hear your influence, especially on songs like Steven, in mm -hmm. some of the Pumpkins, work early, especially the earlier work. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think Immigrant Album is a big influence on a lot of those bands. So yeah. I've heard that from several bands of that. That, or that, that, that era that followed, just followed us. Yeah, a lot of, quite a few of them have, have said to me, oh, we love, you know, Love that album, so yeah, that's good. That yeah, it, it's it's funny because uh, that was actually going to be the next question: is that do you, do you get that a lot? You know, n maybe newer bands yeah, saying as, you, as we're getting push. older now. You know, as as I get into my late twenties, you know. No, was, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I know but we've had every, I might have things from Lady Gaga and obviously uh, loads, loads of people have said it much of it. I mean, the guy, the, I'm the bass player from um, Weird Enough. Uh, so many bands. Uh, it's tough in your late twenties, man. Yeah, it is. I can give you some seventies bands. What's what I'm going to say? What's the name of the band? Be the not uh, Sparks get liked us a lot. They went in print and said how much they liked us. Oh, cool. Which is cool. Obviously, uh, Kimono to my house is a classic. Now, um, um, uh, and who else? Pete, what band that came and got drunk with us on the bus from Chicago? <laughs> yeah, very famous band, brilliant band, brilliant life band. <laughs> no, American band. Um, cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. Oh, right. yeah. Yes. Oh, so wow. the bass player came on, it's just, they just loved us. It's funny because I went to see, um, I didn't, Cheap Trick weren't that big in England. You know, uh, I Want You To Want Me was a big hit for them. Yeah. But they wouldn't like over here. But I remember being in the late 80s or early 90s, seeing Simple Minds, Susan the Banshees, and Cheap Trick. A Cheap Trick was phenomenal by far the best live band, you know. Yeah. I was quite amazed, quite amazed. But as a, what a great live band they were, you know. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, when you guys, early on, you guys did a, a like we had talked about a little bit early in this show, was uh, doing some session, uh, a session with John Cale. Which, right. Now, I 
read that some of the uh, Gene Loves Jezebel stuff was destroyed in that 2008 fire at, at Universal. So I heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, was that stuff included in that? Because that, that's never been released, has it? No, never has. I should imagine. I think tapes have gone out. They were, we, we put tapes out because we had it on cassettes, you know. Oh, yeah. But uh, no, I think from what I, cause you're the second person to tell me, I think that yeah, all that's been destroyed because beggars was our labor in England generally didn't make safety copies. So that, uh, would been, that, would, that would be the end of that. That's But, it, uh, that's but it, I mean, it was an interesting session. I mean, to be honest, with you, um, I mean, John Cale is a legend. He's from Wales as well, obviously. And it was for us, it was a chance to go to New York and hang out with it. Then with the Velvet Underground, we'd never been on an airplane before. They'd oh, wow. been to New York. So, um, so that was just great fun, you know. And it was, I mean, very over the top and every, very rock and roll excessive, as you can imagine, uh, from that period. I mean, I'm not a drug guy or anything, but believe me, that was a time when you couldn't avoid anything. So, uh, so we didn't get too much record, and I didn't do any vocals. I ended up playing bass because the bass player. Uh, missed the session because the flight got cancelled. Got to go to Philadelphia and he couldn't get to New York oh, in time. And, um, didn't do any vocals, uh, and so it's an interesting session. But it was crazy. We stayed in the Iroquois Hotel, which at that time was uh, the rock and roll hotel, but it was very much Cockroach City. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> um, and filthy, and uh, you know we didn't know anything about America. And this, this was New York. We look at TV and. The signal was terrible because all the high buildings, we didn't know that. All the cars, the pizzas were 10 times the size of ours. And, <laughs> you know, MTV was on, the Van Halen were on it. And it was like, uh, oh, gosh. We, we would go to clubs, illegal clubs at five in the morning that looked like totally, you know, <laughs> state-of-the-art premises, you know what I mean? Oh, my God. An experience, you know. So the recording was probably secondary to all that to Sarah introduction to the u.s okay I'll, I'll wrap this up because i don't want to keep you guys too long. i know I've, I've kept you quite a while already so uh dance underwater came out in 2017 right mm. is there new music on the way oh i write every day you know pete writes every day we, we, we're the kind of band we're literally i can strum it uh, and i'd sing a, a few notes and we're away you know so yeah i mean we, we, we plan on doing something uh at the minute obviously we're touring um, and I'm just going to hate around the U.S. after this. Once I finish this tour in mid-September, I'll be going mid-October to mid-November on my own. And okay. so, and so we're probably and we're, we're touring next year in Europe. So, you know, we'll hopefully maybe we can do something in the spring. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll have to find a way of funding it, of course. And but there'll, there'll be a way, I'm sure. That would be fantastic. But I know fans are going to love it. I'm looking forward to it. So hopefully, we can get something going and, and not have a pledge music debacle. <laughs> Hope not. Yeah. No, we think it some good. I mean, I play some acoustic scenes of my own at the minute, and uh, I've got them. You, you know, you mark for the for the band as well, and people really like them. So, um, just acoustically, you know, I did a, a gig opening for a band called Balam and the Angel in in London. It was fantastic, and I played all new songs, and uh, one or two of them were people like, "Oh my God, you got to do that song." So, um, let's see. You know. Cool. Cool. So you have all the gigs so far have been so fantastic. It's amazing. We're playing such a nice, cool places. Hey, it's been brilliant. Oh, you know? oh, oh yeah, and you're getting great crowd participation too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we give them hundred percent. I mean, my my solo stuff is introverted, and all all the rest of it. my Latino's Jazzball stuff for me is all about high energy. You know. Oh yeah. Just getting getting out of your skin and leaving your body, and just you know, just enjoying it. You know, it's well, just putting a lot of that. Yeah. 
Where can people follow you guys on social media and, and find out some tour dates and, and what's going on with the band? Yeah, well, uk. Don't go to the .com because that's my brother's. Okay. Um, or on FaceTime, Genius Jez with Jay Aston. Twitter, I'm uh, J underscore Aston, at J Aston. Uh, look for James Stevenson. Uh, just look for Genius Jez with Jay Aston and you'll find us. Put that in Google and, and everything will come up. Awesome. Awesome, Jay. Thank you so much for your thanks, time. Mark. Really appreciate oh, it. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it, Mark. We love, love the fact you knew a lot about us. That helps a lot. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.